0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. We all know that the human body comes in all different shapes and sizes. However, most firearms do not. That is why Savage Arms has rolled out their AccuFit system on the 110 platform. AccuFit uses interchangeable components that allow hunters to custom fit both comb height and the length of pull without taking their rifle to a gunsmith. In fact, the only tool you need is a Phillips head screwdriver. If you want to find out more information about the AccuFit customization system, visit SavageArms.com. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. Howdy howdy everybody welcome back to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. It's a nice rainy day outside which means I got off work a little bit early and that gave me an opportunity to come in and talk to you guys. So hope you guys are having a great day. I hope nobody's too wet out there and uh, hopefully you needed some rain. If you didn't need some rain then you might be out of luck because we definitely got it. So, So yeah. I hope everybody's been enjoying the podcast so far. I got a little bit of input from the last episode, and before I get started, I want to shout out once again my social media pages, uh, both Instagram and Facebook. You can find me at Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast, and again, I admit I am way better at Instagram than I am at Facebook, and so um, if you're a Facebookite, Facebook-y, uh, you know, I'm trying to get better at that, and uh, I plan to do a little bit more with that page, but, but yeah, Please, please, please go to the social media pages and let me know what you guys think. I'd love to hear any tips, tricks, uh, and any topics you guys want covered because, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you guys. So any help you guys can give, I'd really appreciate it. I got a lot of comments on the uh, Game Warden episode and a couple on the Mountain Lion, so it seems like... At least somebody out there is listening, so I know I'm not doing this in vain, which is always a good sign. You know, like to have a little encouragement now and then, so let's see. What else? Deer season is officially closed as I'm recording this. I think we got about, about 10 more days of waterfowl as I'm recording this. By the time this comes out, it'll be possibly closed or really close to closed. Uh, so I hope you duck hunters getting your last few birds in. Let's see, oh man, I have, I don't know why, I'm. I'm like I fish, but I'm not just an over-the-top huge fisherman, but for some reason, this time of year, I always get a huge urge to go fishing, and uh, you know, getting off work today, I'd love to go fish, but unfortunately it's raining, and I'm just not that dedicated, if I'm being honest, but, uh, but man, I have a huge urge to get out there and start catching fish. Uh, I think I mentioned on the last episode, I'm trying to get into crappie fishing something I've never really done before, but I'm very excited about it. I bought a new little lightweight rod that I want to try out, and, uh, you know, hoping a little bitty fish can feel like a great big fish with that. Been doing a lot of research into it, and uh, I was actually supposed to talk to a crappie guide today, and uh, he had to cancel on me, and so this is my first official cancellation, which means you guys are stuck with just me again, so... Sorry about you. Hope you don't mind. But luckily for you guys, I already had a couple, you know, podcasts planned out into the future. And so all I'm going to do is bump this one up and then, uh, you know, hopefully get to the crappie fishing in the next week or two. So we'll see when we can get that scheduled again. But as for today, uh, this is something I've been wanting to talk about and it timed out kind of perfect. And I want to talk about 10 things to do before turkey season. And these are not going to be all turkey related. This is, you know, whitetail, turkey, fishing, uh, habitat related stuff, bear, you know, just some general things you need to be doing in this kind of off season time, uh, before turkey season starts real quick before I get into that though, I want to give you guys just a quick little update. I always like to update you guys on, you know, what I'm doing again. I said, I'd like to be fishing, but I'm not, uh, I am planning this weekend to head out to the ranch and I'm going to check my trail cameras that uh, some of them I haven't checked since probably December. And so I want to check those. I Hopefully I'm going to have some time to fire up the chainsaw. I'll start doing a little cutting. And uh, and duck hunting. Uh, you know, this will probably, probably be my last chance to duck hunt, which I've done very little of this year. I think I've only gone twice. Um, and so hopefully, weather permitting, I know it's supposed to be a little nasty this weekend. But, uh, you know, sometimes with ducks, nasty is good. Hopefully I'm going to do a little hunting probably Saturday morning. So yeah, that's really all I got going. You know, mostly I'm just kind of recovering from deer season. Uh, I've been eating well and in all honesty, eating too well. It's about time to hit the gym and lose some of this weight I gained, you know, sitting in a tree stand 45 times in the last three months. So, so yeah, that's about all that's new with me again. uh, Before we get into this social media, go check it out. Go make some comments. And, uh, that's about all I got. So without further ado, we're going to start 10 things to do before turkey season. Number one on the list. Number one is spend time with your family hunting seasons over or winding down. And most likely you've ignored your family a little bit more than you do the rest of the year. And so now is a great time to take your significant other on a date take your kids somewhere, you know, do something fun, a little something out of the ordinary, but whatever you do, just spend time with them. And, uh, you know, hunting season is a challenging time for everybody and especially your family waiting back at home. And so it's just great to spend some time with them, let them know you care. And hopefully you do care. That's a very, very important thing. And, um, uh, yeah, you just, you can't state it enough that family should always come first, you know, especially before your hobby, you know, if, if you're in a true situation where you physically have to hunt to feed your family, it might be a little different, but, but most of us are just out there having a good time and, you know, putting a little extra into the freezer and not necessarily having to stock it. And so, man, like I said, I can't say it enough. Don't forget about your family, do something special, go on a date. Um, I'm sure your wife or husband would love it if you let someone else watch the kids while y'all went out by yourselves. And so, again, I just can't state it enough. Always, always, always put your family first. And so, number one is spend time with your family. Number two on the list, and this one's really, really easy and simple, and that is keep those trail cameras running. Don't forget about them. Get out there, check them, put new batteries in them, and just, you can either leave them where they're at, that's better than sitting in the closet, or, you know, move them somewhere where you think they'll be a little more helpful this time of year. But keep them running. Don't just let them die and do nothing. You're not gaining anything by letting them die. And you can gain a whole lot by keeping them running. You can, you know, the biggest thing is learning which bucks made it through the season. You can, you know, see when the bucks shed. You can see if they shift their pattern after the season ends and where to. You can keep an eye out for turkeys for the upcoming turkey season. You can, you know, see, how what kind of hatch you had with you know turkey poults and how the numbers are looking. I've even used them to just kind of keep an eye on the vegetation and you know see when it starts growing, how it grows up, when the leaves start growing on the trees and all that good stuff. There's just so much good that you can learn from trail cameras and it's so easy, you know, it's hands-free. You literally just put them out there and let them do their thing. And uh, I've even heard from some manufacturers that it's actually better for your cameras to leave them out there running than it is to pick them up and throw them in a closet. And a lot of it, you know, just think of a normal camera. You don't just pick up a normal camera and throw it around or chunk it, you know, leave it on a shelf and toss and turn it all the time. And, uh, you know, I've heard from a couple different people that the main reason trail cameras fail is because they're not taken care of in the off season. And, and I've been guilty of this, you know, you take a bag or a backpack or whatever, and you walk around, you pick up all your cameras, you just kind of, wrap the strap around them, throw them in the bag. And when you get home, you throw the bag somewhere and it's, it's just not good for them. Just think of anything, you know, camera, computer, whatever. Uh, you know, there's working things within that camera that are not meant to be just thrown around. So, so even if you aren't going to use them, you know, it might be better just to leave them out there. Uh, but I mean, batteries are pretty dang inexpensive. And so just throw some cheap batteries in it. And see what happens. Um, you know, one thing I used to think, which I still am, I'm like the world's worst shed hunter. And uh, But part of the reason I used to be even worse was because I always started looking for sheds too early. You know, I'd be looking on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and I'm, I'm seeing all these people picking up sheds. And so I'm getting out there and walking around and spending all this time, and I wasn't finding any sheds. And I just I just thought I was a terrible shed hunter. Well, a couple years ago, I think I actually did it on accident. One of my cameras died like right towards the end of season. So I went ahead and put some new batteries in it and I uh, went back to, and I checked it in like, I don't know, February, I think it was actually out there shed hunting in February and I checked it and I had, I don't know, three or four different bucks on that camera that were still holding their antlers. And I learned the reason I wasn't having any luck shed hunting was because the deer hadn't shed yet. And so, you know, that was just a, a small example of something I learned from trail cameras and leaving them out there was when the buck shed. And so there's no reason to go out there wasting time walking around looking for sheds when there are no sheds to be found. So, so yeah, number two, keep the trail cam- cameras running. Number three, and we're going from a super easy one to a little bit more complicated one. Number three is cut some trees. And I'm going to give you guys some example. Don't worry. Uh, you know, pretty much anywhere in Oklahoma, you're going to find a tree called eastern red cedar. Pretty much everybody's familiar with it. And those things are usually not the best tree you can have. In fact, a lot of times they're one of the worst trees you can have. And uh, if you ever look at a thick stand of cedars, you know, squat down and look underneath them and you're not going to see anything because they grow so thick they grow, you know, they shield all the sun, nothing can grow underneath them. They block water from getting down and they're just not very helpful. And, uh, you know, a lot of people throughout the argument about thermal cover and I, I do get that, but you don't need 10 straight acres of pure cedar for thermal cover, you know? And so if you're, if you're not a believer and you think you need some cedars, I just challenge you to go in there and cut some of them. And, you know, you don't necessarily even have to clear cut an entire two acres or whatever. Just go cut, you know, half of them. Start with half of them and see what happens and see what grows up in their place. And a lot of times it's going to be stuff that is a lot more beneficial than cedar. And then you can always go in later and cut that other half because I'm telling you, once you start cutting some, you're going to want to cut more. And again, you don't have to cut every single one. I myself, you know, even leave some every once in a while, but I but I like to leave them scattered, you know, not all bunched up. And, uh, you know, I always picture like a mule deer way out west, and you got that one tree out there, and you got that big old buck bedding underneath it. That's kind of what I picture, you know, scattered here and there, but not super thick. Uh, another great tree to cut that's more of a more of what you'd find in a true forest, shagbark hickory. Shagbark hickory are all over Oklahoma, and again, they're just not that benefit, uh, not, they just don't have that much benefit for wildlife. That's a great tree to cut down, uh, open up the canopy. It gets some cover on the ground It gets some, you know, leaves and buds on the ground that deer can eat. Uh, so that's a great one to cut. Bodark, Bodark are a, a pain, Like <laughs> you know, they're not the funnest tree to cut down, but again, they're not doing that much good for wildlife, but when You cut one and it stump sprouts that can be very beneficial for wildlife. Deer love the leaves, you know, you got to get them down there where they can reach them. But uh, that's a great tree to cut, and uh, you got to be careful with the stump sprouts because they will go nuts. I'm sure most of you have probably seen that, but uh, a lot of times, what I like to do is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll cut let's say I'm cutting five of them or whatever, I'll stump stump spray. Ooh, man, that's a hard one. (laughs) I will stump spray, which means, you know, spray a chemical on like four of them and try to kill those completely. And then I'll leave one that can kind of grow up and turn into a big nasty bush. And, uh, again, give some, gives the deer some cover and some food. Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, if you're in pine country, I think, you know, any forester will tell you that it's great to go in there every once in a while and thin some trees out. And get rid of some of that competition. Uh, another one, another or something else to think about when you're cutting all this is: what do you want to do with your timber? Do you just want it for wildlife habitat, or do you want to be able to do something with it? Uh, you know, do you want to make some money off of it? And so, if you do, you know, maybe want to try to log it someday. You still need to go in there and thin some trees, but you you know you may change what you thin. Uh, on our place, we have a lot of black walnut. And as far as a deer concern is concerned, black walnuts are not that great. The nuts are really hard. They don't like to eat them that much. And, you know, they get really tall. They can't feed on the leaves or anything. But from a logging standpoint, black walnut can be worth quite a bit. And so there's some areas on, on our place that I've wanted to go through and clear some of the smaller trees and just let those big, nice, mature black walnut thrive. And, you know, you can make some pretty good money on that type of thing. So So, again... Number three, cut some trees, you know, when in doubt, get a, you can get a state biologist out there. You can get a logger out there. You can get somebody to, to, uh, kind of show you the direction and man, there's so many resources online too. Just, just Google, uh, you know, I've Googled, uh, what kind of trees are in Oklahoma. And then, you know, there's almost always pictures and drawings and learn your trees. I mean, that is a big part of all this. Just learning your trees and what they are, being able to identify them. Uh, knowing the difference between a white oak and a red oak you know both of them are great for for all types of wildlife um, but they can be great at different times or one might be more attractive than the other so just learning trees in general is a great practice before you go out there and just start cutting so so number three cut some trees moving right along to number four this one's going to get even a little bit more complicated number four is controlled burns and uh I wouldn't say I'm hesitant to bring this up because it's a very important practice. But, man, you got to be really careful with this one and uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, there are so many good resources out there now to help you do some controlled burns. And I would really, really push anyone who's interested in doing some controlled burns to go to the Noble Foundation's website. And they have a lot of literature up there to help you. And they even have resources as far as you know, people who can come out and help you get started or lay out a plan. Uh, they have weather data on there, what type of weather you should be looking for before you burn. They have tips for, you know, making your fire line. And and again, they even have people who can come out there and kind of lay it out for you. And there's also resources out there. There's, you know, there's people you can just hire. And, you know, if you want to do some burns and you don't feel comfortable, there's people you can hire and come out there and... Uh, Uh, I've talked to one company that they had two different prices. If you do all the fire lines and you just don't feel comfortable actually lighting the match, they'll come out there and do that part. Or if you don't feel comfortable with any of it, they'll come out there and start to finish, take care of the entire thing. And so again, there's, there's a lot of resources out there. And man, burning is such a great thing you can do for your habitat and your land. And especially in Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma overall is a great plains state and the great plains was just, it was just meant to burn. And of course now with settlement and uh, you know, just how we use the land. Now it doesn't get burned very often. And uh, you know, we were talking about Eastern red cedar in the last section and a big reason you see cedars taking over the entire state of Oklahoma is the lack of burning. And it's also just been, it's just beneficial for everything uh, we've done some burning in our place. We were we have a, a section we were trying to promote some native grass, and we did a an early season burn. And that year, and that year we got some you know some more native grass. But then the next year, man, there was a flush of native grass. And it's just it was really interesting to see how the fire worked and what it did. And so. I I wish we did more of it. Uh, You know, a lot of times we're really, really busy in the spring during during prime burning time. And so we don't get to do much of it, but it's definitely something I'm trying to do more of. And, uh, you know, my goal is to basically get some some fire lines that will last for eternity and uh, not necessarily last for eternity, but basically, you know, we can go in year after year and just do a quick little, uh, you know, touch up to get it ready to go and so that we can do a lot more burning in the future. And so, again, I, I I probably could walk you through how to do a burn, but I don't want people pointing their fingers at me and saying this guy, you know, told us we could just light some matches. And so, again, I you know, I, I don't want to be the teacher on that. But, again, there are so many resources out there for landowners to do some controlled burns. And so again, I just want to encourage you guys. Uh, it's, it's not as hard as it seems. You just got to be smart about it. So number four, controlled burns. All right. We'll move away from some of the, some of that technical stuff and get back into the fun, easy stuff. Number five, number five on the list is shed hunt slash scout. Uh, right now is just prime time for these two activities, and and they just work well together. You know, shed hunting's a fun thing to do. It's a great way to get your family and friends and kids out there, and a great excuse just to get you out in the woods, walking your property, and it's very easy to scout while you're doing all that. I love this time of year. You know, all the grass is dead, the leaves are dropped, and so it's just more open. And this is the type of year that I love. I just love getting out there and walking the property. And, uh, I like to walk all the draws and the hills and just, just figure out how they work and how they work together. You know, how is that terrain affecting wind direction, affecting how the animals uh, use the landscape? Uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do is if I, if I actually saw a mature buck somewhere I like to go to that spot this time of year and just try to figure out why why was that deer there? Where was he coming from? Where was he going? Why was he moving there? Why was he moving there at that time? you know was it was it rut related and he was just kind of out of his mind or or was there a reason he was there and did he feel and you know was, was there a reason he felt safe there because these animal I don't care what animal it is these animals don't just kind of walk around all willy-nilly like you know they have a purpose they are out there every single day trying to survive and if they make a mistake it is literally life and death and so they use the terrain and the vegetation and all that stuff for a purpose and this is a great time to get out there and figure out what that purpose is it's also a great time to be doing your spring scouting for turkey season And, you know, again, you can do both at the same time. You can look for deer tracks. You can look for deer sign while also looking for turkey tracks and turkey sign and try to figure out where those turkeys are going to be in a few months when it's time to hunt them. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, I can't say it enough. I feel like I'm repeating myself over and over again, but it is just a great time to be out in the woods. All that deer sign is still very visible. You know, you can see the scrapes, you can see the rubs, you can see the beds, Uh, you know, the whole buck bedding thing is a big rage right now in the deer hunting world. And there's no better time to get out there than right now and look for those buck beds and start planning for the fall and not just finding the buck beds, but how are you going to capitalize on those buck beds? Again, why are they there? You know, what is the purpose of them? Are they close to food? Are they just more in the cover? Where are they going to go from that bed and how are they going to get there? And so... Uh, Man, I almost said it again. It's a great time to be in the woods. It just really is. This is honestly like my favorite time to get out there and walk around. And as I mentioned before, I am the world's worst shed hunter. For the amount of time I've spent out there, I have not found that many sheds, at least on purpose. I tend to find a bunch of sheds every year but I normally find them when I'm not looking, you know, I'm either out there checking on cows or moving stands around or just out there walking around. That's when I tend to find the sheds. If I'm actually looking for them, I never find them, but, but, you know, check those bedding areas, check your, you know, if you have food plots or feeders, check around the outsides of those, any fences, you know, like a a low spot where the deer tend to kind of funnel in and, and jump the fence a lot. That's a great place And, uh, and just keep your eyes open. You know, uh, I've never been, I've never been so hardcore where I like pick an area and just grid it super hard. And, you know, like I, I mentioned before, our deer, I think I mentioned it before, our deer tend to shed pretty late. And so I, I don't feel like personally, I learn a lot from finding sheds, which is, I think another reason I'm just, I'm not crazy into it. You know, by the time our deer drop in in March, I don't think that's where they're gonna be in November. And so, you know, shed hunting is fun and I enjoy it, but I've never just been a diehard shed hunter. Um, but I but I wanna be, you know, it's again, it's one of those things I'd love to do more. Uh but as I mentioned before, spring is usually just very busy for us, so I just don't get it, you know, a whole lot of time. And uh something I you know, I've always heard of people selling antlers and stuff. But I honestly did not know what antlers were worth until really about two weeks ago. And uh, my wife was talking about how she'd seen them on Etsy, which is a website people can sell like homemade goods. And there were some people selling sheds on there for like 40 bucks a piece. And these are not like big, huge, you know, awesome sheds. These are just like run-of-the-mill average deer said, you know, I got like a whole box of these sitting in the garage and I didn't even know I was sitting on a gold mine. So might have to, uh, start putting some of those up for sale. But anyway, before I get too off track, we just better end this segment before I say, you know, it's a great time to be in the woods again. So, so number five shed hunt and scout number six, number six might be the funnest one on the list. This one is varmint hunt. This is a great time of year to get after the varmints whether it be coyotes, raccoons, possums, skunks, hogs, whatever it is, now's the time to get rid of them. This is probably the best time of the entire year to call coyotes, if that's something you're into. And uh, very effective, great time to do it. They're really responsive to calls this time of year. And I also just see a lot of coyotes just running around this time of year for whatever reason. If you're in cattle country, which I'm sure a lot of you are, uh, you know, calving season's coming up, And you can always catch some coyotes running around trying to pick up, you know, uh, the afterbirth or a spare calf or, uh, you know, stillborn, something like that. So we always see a lot of coyotes running around our place. All the tree, all the trees, all the leaves on the trees are gone. So it's a great time to look for raccoons or, uh, you know, the grass is all short, look for possums, skunks, whatever. You know, those things are, are terrible nest predators for your turkeys. And uh, they've even been known to kill live turkey poults. And so right now is a great time to to lower those t- uh, populations. You know, if your deer feeders are still going, I guarantee you that you probably got some raccoons and most likely some hogs coming into them. And I, oh man, I think I've expressed before my hatred for hogs. I'm going to have to do a full hog podcast at some point. Uh, but for now, just know that I hate them and I love killing them every chance I get And again, right now is a great time to do that. When the grass is all short, you got some wide open pastures out there or, you know, dist up field, whatever it is, they'll probably be out there scrounging for scraps. And I cannot say this enough, get after those suckers. I mean, you, you literally can't kill enough of them to hurt the population. Uh, but it, every little bit helps, you know? And, uh, so if we don't do our part in, helping to try to control those populations. It's never going to get done. If you got the money, go out there, get a helicopter, do whatever you got to do, but kill some stinking hogs and, uh, and just all varmints. You know, again, it's a, it's a fun hobby. It's challenging. You have a buddy of mine is really into coyote hunting. He's taken me several times over the years and there's a lot to it. It's more than just going out there and hit and play on an electric, on on an electronic call. You got to really know what you're doing. And so, yeah, number six, a uh, short one, sweet one, but a really fun one. Get out there and do some mm-hmm. varmint hunting. All righty, on to number seven. This one gets back to a little bit more of the technical stuff. Number seven is spring food plots. And man, you know, this could, you could do a dozen podcasts with the, uh, with this topic, but I'm going to try to condense it down to a few minutes Um, You know, I don't think I have to tell you guys the benefits of spring food plots, Uh, not only nutrition for deer, but usually it turns into a great bugging areas for turkeys, uh, great strutting areas for turkeys. You know, if you got some water nearby, great for ducks as they, you know, start migrating back north and uh, just about anything else, you know, food plots are just, they're just good for your property. And so, uh, man, where to begin, where to begin? I honestly, I've never been super successful with spring plots and I wouldn't say it's because I don't know how to do it. For me, it's more the time, you know, on the ranch spring is a very, very busy time. And so the little opportunities I get, a lot of times it just doesn't work out well, but I I still want to take you guys through the steps of what I do. And hopefully you guys have a little bit more spare time than I do and can do this right. Step number one, and probably the most important, is you need to clear the vegetation, whatever that is. Um, And I like to do it with chemicals and not plowing. Uh, You know, I couldn't get into the biology of it, but even big-time farmers are trying to move away from plowing and get into more of a a no-till situation. And so, uh, you know, glyphosate is a great product to use Uh, you just mix it with water and, uh, get out there and just do a real nice, even spray. You're going to try to pick a day that isn't too windy. So you don't get drift because again, that is, you know, it's going to kill a lot of stuff. And so, especially if you're up against your neighbor or something, you got to really be careful with that, but, but just try to get a good, clean kill. And I try to do this at least a week before I'm want to actually put my seed out. Uh, really two weeks is almost better. Uh, a lot of times after a week, you'll start to see, uh, some stuff, you know, turning brown, but it almost takes two weeks before you really get a good kill on it. And so this is something you want to plan in advance and really, really get out there and do a good job spraying. Uh, number two, is usually just getting the seed in the ground. Uh, you know, we're lucky enough that we have a no-till drill that we use for our our cattle stuff, you know, planting fall crops and stuff for the cattle. And so I have access to a no-till drill, which is really nice. And so for me, basically you just spray and plant. And, uh, again, getting your, you know, your seed rate set is very important before you start, especially if you're doing a small plot, which most of us are, you know, uh, most likely you're probably not out there planting a, a 50 acre soybean field just for deer. If you are, that's awesome. And give me a call cause I want to come, you know, hunt with you. But, uh, you know, most of us are stuck doing, you know, half acre, maybe up to three, four acres. I think our biggest plot is food is four acres. And so, uh, you know, getting that, getting that drill going is, uh, is awesome. If you don't have a drill, don't worry. I've become a bigger and bigger fan of just broadcasting, and and there's really nothing else you need to do special if you are going to broadcast. A lot of times, most people will suggest uh, you know upping your seed rate, but uh, the biggest advice I have for you, and this goes for both methods, but especially if you're going to broadcast, is you want to time it out with rain. And if you're broadcasting, it's, it's even more important if you're going to broadcast and, and it's good to have a a good heavy rain. You know, I'm not talking about a four inch gully washer, but if they're predicting, you know, a half inch up to an inch, that's when I like to go broadcast my seed, get it out there, you know, try to get it as, as even as possible. If you have a little, a little spreader, that's great i've done it by hand when you do it by hand you kind of usually end up with streaks and not a nice even deal so you know getting a little 10 15 spreader from you know your local hardware store is usually a good idea and the closer you can get it to that rain the better when you're broadcasting it just it doesn't give time for you know critters or birds to get out there and eat the seed and it's going to help a lot with your soil to seed contact you know, when you get that nice heavy rain, it's going to push that seed down into the ground. You know, the water is going to get nice, uh, the water, the dirt is going to get nice and moist and just kind of surround and stick to that seed. And you're going to have a much better success rate if you can time it out to broadcast right before a rain. And, uh, obviously the same with the no-till drill. It's not quite as important to get it, you know, right in front. Uh, in fact, I, I try not to get it too close to the rain because I've had instances where, You know i tried to do it two days before and you know the rain either didn't come or i tried to do it like the day of and the rain came early and i didn't get the seed in the ground before the rain started and then i had to wait until you know it dried up some or wait till the next rain so so rain is very important in the timing with that but uh you know you got to be smart with it and you you know just like anything else it's hard to always have you know mother nature is its own thing so it's hard to get it perfect But the closer you can get it to perfect, the more success you're going to have. And, uh, you know, a lot of, depending on what you're planting, you know, if you get, if you're planting soybeans or something like that, you can get the the glyphosate tolerant, you know, you give it a few weeks to get up and then you can spray it again, get that, you know, all those weeds and the stuff you don't want growing to, to go away. If you're planting like a clover or something, you know, a lot of times clover or alfalfa, you need to mow it. And so keep that in mind. You know, once it starts getting a little taller, but that that mowing will help the, you know get some of the competition out of there. But it'll also just kind of refresh that clover or alfalfa or what it, whatever it is and help it just grow those nice nice clean leaves that the critters like to munch on. So so clear the ground, plant your seed, time it with rain, and then be prepared to do some some after maintenance. You know, whether it be mowing, spraying. Or a fertilizer application. Another great thing to do before you get all this started is to take a soil sample. And and again, you know, I I talked about the Noble Foundation earlier. They have a great uh, system. I believe Oklahoma State also does. Uh, I don't, you know, they're not free, but I want to say it's like ten bucks to get a soil sample. And so, you know, that's another great resource. They can tell you where you're at. You know, if you need fertilizer, what type, and all that good stuff. And uh, again, I believe it's like. 10 to $12 per sample. And you need to do a separate sample for each plot because just because you have a certain type of soil in one area doesn't mean you're going to have that same soil, you know, over there. And so, yeah, soil samples are are really helpful and make sure you do one per plot. Now here comes everybody's favorite question. And that is, what do I plant? <laughs> I uh, I heard Lee Kosky talk one time And he, at the, after the talk, he was taking questions and somebody shot their hand up and said, you know, what's your favorite thing to plant in a food plot? And he kind of lowered his head for a second. And he said between, you know, social media and live events and their, uh, their website and everything, he said, and without lying, he said, I've probably heard that question a hundred thousand times. Everybody wants to know what should I plant in my food plot? And everybody wants this, you know, miracle, miracle cure and there's just really not one. You know, it's going to vary depending on where you're at. Uh, a lot of people, you know, their go-to is soybeans. And soybeans are great, but they're they're not for everyone because you kind of have to have a larger, uh, larger food plot. Um, you can broadcast them, but you're not going to get a great stand if you broadcast. They really need to be put in with a drill. So it's just not really... It's not just really plausible for everyone. If you have the equipment in the spot, yeah, like rock on, you know, plant some soybeans. Uh, Forage soybeans are awesome, but if you can't afford it or don't want to spend that money, man, just a normal row crop soybean, is going to be way better than just the, you know, Bermuda or fescue, whatever grass is going to grow up in there. So, So don't be afraid to just use whatever, you know, soybean you can get a hold of if that's the route you're going to go. If you have a smaller plot or you're working with hand tools, you know, don't have the equipment, I think it's hard to go wrong with clover. I've had a lot of good luck with clover and it's been pretty easy to grow. One thing with clover though, is you need to plant it earlier. And honestly, if you can plant it in the fall, that's actually better. Um, but I've planted it in the spring. I have I, I think I put it out in February once one year and got a decent plot. And the thing about clover is, though, it takes some time, and so don't think you're going to go throw some seed out there and have this luscious green carpet the first year you plant it. A lot of time, it takes uh, two years. A lot of times that second year is when it really gets nice and thick, and then if you take care of it, you know, that third year it'll be just as nice. And I've heard of people having the same plot of clover for up to like seven years um, but you got to take care of it, and you know if you have a bunch of deer and you only have one small plot, you know they may keep it eaten down enough to where you don't have to do much with it. But if you have a bigger plot or not as many deer, you may have to go in there and mow it, and that'll help keep some of the you know undesirables out of it, uh, and also just keep it healthy and, and short and nice and tender for your for your wildlife. Clover is also a really good one for turkeys because. Turkeys like that, just short stuff. They can get out there. They can strut around. They can, uh, it's a great bugging area. You know, they flip those leaves over and find insects and stuff. And so clover's really good for a lot of different things. Whereas soybeans, once they get a little taller, you know, the turkeys aren't going to really want to, want to barrel through there and, and find stuff and they can't see and they don't like that. So if your goals are a little more, you know, complete wildlife interest, then, uh, you know, a, cl- a clover might be better for you. Um, you know, wheat and that stuff is good, but once it gets up a little higher, they're not going to like it near as much. You know, whereas, you know, soybeans or something, uh, they're going to be able to continue to eat that as they grow. So, so again, do a little research, figure out what works in your area. Um, you know, alfalfa is an awesome one, but that one's a lot more temperamental. Uh, you know, you got to have good drainage and stuff. If water's going to be sitting there, it's going to get choked out real easy and drown. So, so you got to watch out with that one. But again, just, you know, ask around, go to your local, you know, seed supplier or farm store and ask them what, just what grows well. And even if they're not a deer hunter, they, they're usually pretty informed on what's going to grow in that area because of, you know, ranchers and stuff. So so do a little research and uh, and just get out there and do it, you know. Don't be scared. The only way you can learn is to get out there and do it. And so number seven is spring food plots. Moving right along, number eight. Hopefully you guys are still with me. Number eight is a short and sweet one that literally anybody can do. And that is mow a strutting zone. And it's just what it sounds like. It's just a spot that you mow nice and short to where turkeys can get out there and strut their stuff. Um, you know, a lot of times it's good to put it on top of a hill if possible, or next to some thick timber where, uh, turkeys like to roost or even just a natural opening that you can go in there and just kind of knock that vegetation back and give them a spot to, you know, just like it sounds, get out there and strut their stuff. Uh, it's super simple you got a brush hog, you can do it, or even just get your lawnmower out there, you know, and it doesn't have to be a big area. You know, I'm not talking 10 acres. I'm talking one to two acres, again, just in a picture-perfect spot. Uh, one thing I've done in the past is just kind of watch where turkeys like to be naturally. You know, they, they usually already have a spot that they enjoy doing this at, but you can just go in there and improve it and just mow a little bit and, you know, you can leave the edges still long. Gives you a great spot to hide and sit back there and call. Uh, but it just, it just gets the turkeys close to where you want them. You know, that way you may only have to call them in 50 yards instead of 200 yards. And so it's a nice, simple thing you can get out there and do. Obviously, you might want to wait a little closer to turkey season, but it's also something you don't want to do the day before. You know, I like to do it maybe two weeks out. And, uh, you know, that time of year in the late spring, the grass isn't growing real fast yet. And so you can do it two weeks in advance and it's not going to grow back on you super quick, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just a great simple little thing you can do to really improve your chances this turkey season. And if your property is big enough, you know, don't stop at one get you two or three. That way you have multiple places to go to in the same hunt. Or, you know, if you're going to hunt back to back days, you can hunt one day, one, one day and (laughs) one the other. And so, super simple, easy tip. Number eight, mow a strutting zone. Number nine, almost there, guys. Number nine is move some deer stands. This is one of my favorite times of year to hang tree stands for a lot of reasons. One, there's no poison ivy yet. Uh, Number two, you have all the previous year's movement fresh on your mind. Number three, hopefully, you know, you did some of that walking around that we talked about earlier, and you just got a better feel for... The terrain, how the deer move through the terrain, what obstacles they may encounter, where the food sources are, all that type of stuff. You know, don't wait until it's super hot in August and September to go to hang your deer stands. Go hang them right now. Another reason I like to hang deer stands right now is all the disturbance that happens while you're hanging them and all that noise and scent and all that stuff has plenty of time to be washed away by the time deer season comes around, so... You know, it doesn't matter if you spook some deer or leave some ground scent or play some music while you're hanging your stand, all that stuff, you know, months from now, those deer aren't going to pay any attention to that. Um, Another big advantage is you, I kind of mentioned earlier, how you get to see it, how it's going to look when you're hunting. You know, if you wait till the summer to hang all your, all your stands, you're going to have all those leaves and stuff, and it's going to look a lot messier than it would when you were actually hunting. And so it keeps you from trimming too much around your stand. You know, you want to leave as many branches and limbs and leaves and all that stuff that you can. And so doing it this time of year, it's more like it's going to be when you're hunting in, you know, late October, November, when there's no leaves on the trees. And so I, I in the past, have been guilty of trimming way too much. And, you know, I, I didn't realize it when I was younger and less experienced, but I think that's the reason I didn't have as much uh, success when I was younger, because I'd go in there and I was so afraid of like, well, if I leave this branch, you know, I can't shoot that way and I'd cut it and, you know, I'd look at this branch and i like, well, I couldn't shoot that way either. And so I'd cut that one. And, uh, you know, as I get older, I trim less and less. And I actually kind of love it when you leave one big, nice branch that kind of goes out in front of you. And obviously you can shoot to the left or right of it, but it just, it just helps break you up and it doesn't look like a big sore spot sticking out on the side of the tree. And so that is another great reason that this is the perfect time of year to move some deer stands. So again, number nine, move some stands last, but certainly not least number 10. I hope everybody's still with me. I hope I haven't bored you out yet. Number 10 is look at the big picture. And this can go for just about any outdoor activity be it deer hunting, turkey hunting, bear hunting, elk hunting, goose hunting, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, Just this is a great time to step back and look at the big picture. You can look at your property, look at your strategies, you know, even if you're a public land hunter, instead of zooming in on those maps, zoom out, look at the whole picture if you're a private land guy, same thing. And I would almost say it's even more important if you're hunting a small parcel, you know, if you're only hunting 40, 80, a hundred acres, you know, whatever you're hunting most likely is not going to just live on you. You know, no matter what animal it is, all animals pretty much cover a big area. And so, like I said, you know, if you're deer hunting and you only have 40 acres, Most likely those deer are either not betting on you, not feeding on you, or at least all the time. And so you have to take into account your surrounding area. Again, public land guys, you know, there's some smaller public land out there, uh, but Oklahoma's fortunate enough to have some big places too, you know, several thousand acres. And so you gotta, you know, a lot of times we just get tunnel vision and we find our spot, our one spot or our honey hole and we just want to focus on that. We want to do whatever we can in this honey hole, but you got to back up sometimes and think, why is that a honey hole? You know, and I guarantee you, if you're hunting, you know, a 4,000 acre public land area, there's probably more than one big deer. And most likely all those big deer are not in one spot. And so it's very important to try to, again, just scoot back and. Uh, and even if you're not, you know, a deer hunter, if you're, let's say a duck hunter or a bear hunter, you know, taking a look at your strategy, taking, you know, if you're a duck hunter, where are those birds roosting? Where are they coming from? Why aren't they going to wherever you're hunting? You know, is there a food source? Is it just secure? You know, someplace they can hide away. Is it just a great place along the flyway where they can stop, you know, for a day or so and then head on, you know, bear hunters like bears cover a lot of ground, uh, you know, they just spotted one. You know, we learned a few weeks ago with the, with the game board and they spotted spotted one around Oklahoma City. Why are bear moving around? Why do they like one spot as opposed to the other? Again, you know, this goes for just about anything. Maybe fish are your thing. If you're fishing a farm pond or a lake, most likely you have better luck in one spot than you do in another spot. Why is that? What's different? Is there a creek channel or, you know, just a zillion different things? Maybe there's an old tree that fell down or even an old bridge that was demolished. You just got to, no matter what you're doing, you got to step back. And this is a great time to plan too. You know, like there are certain spots on our ranch that I know hunt better in one time of the year than they do in the other. There's one particular stand that comes to mind that I have seen so many big bucks out of. But I don't even hunt it till about the second week of November because there's no reason to. You know, I've, I've ran cameras there, I've hunted it, and I've just never really seen much deer movement until November hits. And then big bucks just cycle through there like crazy. And after studying it for a while, I finally figured out that, you know, I was kind of sitting on this end of a point And there was bedding areas on one side and bedding areas on the other side for, where a lot of does bed. And so during that breeding time, bucks just kind of work their way around that point, going from one to the other, looking for hot does. And so that's just, you know, one example. And so I really encourage you guys, number 10, don't forget to just step back, breathe and just think about things. So number 10, look at the big picture. Well, what'd you guys think? Hopefully you're still with me. Hopefully I didn't ramble on too long and I kept it entertaining. Again, I'm still new at this. I'm learning. And, uh, any input you guys give me, I would welcome it, be it good or bad. Uh, I know I said it at the beginning a couple times, but I would love for you guys to head over to my social media pages and and uh, let me know how you're feeling about the podcast. And, uh, and it, yeah, any topics or guests you might want me to consider, I will do my best because, again, I'm here for you guys. So that's going to do it for today. Like a Band-Aid, you just got to rip it off. So I'm out of here, and I will see you guys next week.